All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is part two of the podcast series that we've done over last week and now this week. Uh, This podcast is very proudly sponsored by Crush Organics. They have a huge range of CBD oil products. They've got the platinum oil, the diamond oil, the everyday oil. They've got bath bombs, gummies. They've got everything you could possibly envision in the last podcast. We're talking about existential crises. If you are facing an existential crisis, you know what the meaning of life is. Get some CBD oil by Crush Organics. CrushOrganics.com. Use the code NEIL for 40% off. We're also going to start with another shout-out, okay? So if you don't know already, uh, we're offering shout-outs on this podcast. Go to neilkohacker.com slash podcast. $5 a month will get you a shout-out, and all that money goes to charity. Uh, we want to give a shout-out to Hamburger Documentary. Handburger, not hamburger, hand. If you search that term, it will come up. And that's this is from Mitchell, and he's just said, give a shout-out to Handburger Documentary. So what do you think about the name, Handburger Documentary? Can Let me see that. <laughs> yes, hand, in brackets. Hand. All right. Yeah. If you search it, the term will come up. This is this is an infuriating shout out because I am going to search that up now. Yeah, I'm, he's I'm actually gamed it. Yeah, he's he's done the right thing. Now everyone <laughs> really it without it. giving any information away. That's the way to do it. Good job, Mitchell. Yeah, okay, you've All outsmarted right. us. So uh, we continue on from last week's podcast. We still talk about uh, existentialism, and we talk about we get into uh, what could be described as digital feudalism. So enjoy. Damn, you are getting good at the intros. So professional. It was. Man, look. Really? Do you do you do you think that TikTok is more evil than say Facebook? And Facebook is more no, evil than MSN? No, I don't think any of them are more e- you can't really attribute evil to these corporations they're just a product of uh advancing technology and the pursuit of okay okay but the overall product but is the overall product bad worse do you think that life is enhanced generally by tiktok or do you think that it's because you know what i like neither this is it, just, it have to like overall neutral technology, but I it's think neutral technology. But it's overall, what we do with the technology, yes, it's not fair. I I don't really agree when people are like well, Facebook is evil. It's like, well, okay, we're the humans that are existing on it. We are the ones with the evil in us. <laughs> evil is within, but it's true. No, it's true, it's but just it's a just platform. like yes, it's a platform, but it, it, it's is it. Stoking something in you that is overall beneficial or not, because there's something else that I think is linked to this a lot, which is I've kind of always wanted what I have now, definitely, but the price of that was spending a lot. This is my entire life, this pretty much, right? It's just sitting there talking all the time, talking, 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 talking. Is that a bad thing? I mean, but what, what's the opportunity? Because what if, if you couldn't wave a magic wand and relive 
your life of the last 10 years where you feel like you spend copious amounts of time online, what would you have done differently? And these all these questions are also circular because when you ask that question, okay, what would I have done differently? Well, if you do that differently, you wouldn't have come to the same conclusions to make that judgment to say, oh, I would have done that differently. Whatever you did at the time would have happened anyway. And you would have regretted something else that was happening there. I'm just yeah. thinking like... Does it... Does it help advance things? That's the big question. I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago. There was a lady, her name was Mary. I've forgotten her last name, but she had a very interesting idea about how humans don't actually progress. The idea of progress is just constructed. Things just change. The environment changes. Technology changes. And there's always some to and fro. There's always some conflict between if it's Jordan Peterson, it's order and chaos or it's the patriarchy and women or it's there's just always some sort of sacrifices by certain groups or aspects of our life that are sacrificed or if it's a system like what we live in today if you want to call it neoliberalism well there's immense growth and there's uh there are technological advancements and uh we're operating at a capacity far more efficiently than we ever have but our uh, psychological health has certainly taken a downturn. So there's always this seesawing effect. There's this to and fro. The, 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 there's no utopia. We're not moving towards some sort of utopia. That's the illusion. What it, When you say, have we progressed, is that progress? What is your definition of progress? Just this simple. And this is so... This is simple. Is it making, th- is it improving things? Okay, well, what's your definition of improvement? Are things, well, like, okay, let's, let's put it this way, right? Like what we were talking about before in the Roman thing. Roman Empire, twice the amount of people in it, much better quality of life, much longer life. Dark Ages, half the population, people shrunk to about 60% of the size because of how malnourished they were. Couldn't even get, let alone afford, things like plates. Okay, would you say that the Dark Ages were an inevitable consequence of the Roman Empire's success? Because, as that old cliche goes, uh, what is it? Good times create weak people. Weak people create bad times. Bad times create strong people. And due to the success of the Roman Empire, it was going to collapse into hedonism anyway. It could never have continually been on an upward path. Forever. Yeah. So there's just this natural order of things where we're always... feel like we're progressing, but there's something that's being ignored or some sort of uh, cost to that progress, and eventually that becomes too great to bear, and maybe there's a... Collapse, contraction, or yeah. yeah, some sort of contraction, and and that's what they're saying there is. Well, really, what they're saying then is okay. The idea of progress is an illusion, given the vast expanse of time 
at some point it's going to crash in on itself. Sure, yeah, yeah, you could say that. And for the and in the dark ages, who are you? Your well, this is where you get kind of woke. You're assessing the dark ages based on what your definition of progress and success for humanity is. But for a a warlord, the dark ages would have been mad. Maybe would it's it progress for them? I'm this. Well, I can only assume for certain people in the dark ages, they would have loved it. I don't know, man. Like, don't you reckon that if you went to a warlord in Africa and said, here's citizenship to Australia, they'd be like, fuck yeah, can't wait to be a taxi driver. No, no way. I reckon they'd be fucking scared because there's there's, there's virtually no security. And again, you, you, really, in that environment, because it's just a savage, savage environment, you're yeah. doing the same thing that politicians do here of just kind of like assuring people of safety. But like- Sure. You but- must be constantly thinking, this guy is going to kill me in my sleep. Uh, I could be invaded from this warlord over here. There would be this constant fear there because things just aren't stable at all. I, I swear that that's okay. what the average We'd Viking have- warlord would be thinking back then. Possibly. You'd have to just measure their baseline cortisol levels there but, and then compare it, <laughs> compare it to the... To the uh, Western cortisol levels, and honestly, with the amount of uh, anxiety we all have today, I don't know if it would even be that different. But uh, don't do you think fear is also very relative? If if you if you've sort of existed in that savage environment for so long, then a relative period of a peace where there's fewer wars for ten years, suddenly you you'd have less fear than the average Westerner right now who's enduring a pandemic. Mm. Mm. You definitely would. So, and you would bring the savagery with you into that peaceful environment. Would you? Would you? Oh, not? absolutely. That's kind of what happened with like Vietnamese migrants when they came here. The natural order of the underworld was bikies, mm. and they were kind of just fat guys that were. Yeah, willing to bust some heads open here and there. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'd do a few murders. But then when Vietnamese gangs came here, it became way more savage and ruthless. And it's because mm. they came out of the Vietnam War. Yeah. And so okay. they had seen horrendous things. And so they were willing to go way further. Mm. You know? It's just if you see violence... It's kind of like a classic movie thing, isn't it? You bring the violence. Sure, you're a product you know? of your environment. Product of your environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you're in a pussy environment, and you, which is exactly what those barbarians were, they just brought whatever was the marauding constant struggle and turmoil of living outside of the empire ag- into the empire. Again, you're still assessing the concept of savor- savagery based on what, Coming back to what you were talking about before, where you're asked to choose a film and it's just a product of all the experiences you've had and you're not really in control of that choice. Something has just popped up in your your mind. I like to think of your brain as just this giant chasm of a jukebox Mm. of just all the greatest hits of your life, which Mm. Mm. essentially some memories are more uh, salient than others mm. and 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 you're simply just picking up 
and picking out various things. And they all are interconnected in some way. When you think of something, it triggers another memory that then triggers another one. It's just this thought track that you're always experiencing, even when you sleep. That's what's what happening. Dreams are. So one thing so about dreams, you know, oh yeah, you go, you go, you go, you go. The savages go. from the dark ages, if they were the king, and maybe they, they're a couple of centuries after the Roman Empire, they've nothing else to compare it to. I'm sure they would have thought this is mad. I'm I'm the top dog, <laughs> you know. Sure, there was, yes. there's this there's this uh, yes, pervasive the- level of fear, but because they wouldn't have known anything different. I think they would have still thought, okay, their, their barometer for success or for improvement may have been, I'm totally speculating here, but I am the top warlord. I've climbed this hierarchy. I mean, status is just so important for one's idea of where, you know, how, well, not just happiness, but... uh how confident they feel and maybe how they even judge their environment. So I don't think I don't think it's fair to, to assume that we have some sort of objective um, omniscient lens through which we can see history and just assess what was a, a period of decline and what could be seen as progress. No, see, okay... That's the conditioning. That's what they want you to think. Yeah. I swear that's what they want you to think. Who's okay. They? They're using, I'm not going to use this word, cherry picked. I'm going to try and think of something else because I hate that word. But they are using very, very narrow, selective examples there of, you know, okay, yes, maybe, maybe the warlord enjoyed their life more. And they actually might have even enjoyed their life more than an emperor because I would imagine they'd have way less responsibilities or thought into that kind of stuff, right? Would have been pretty mad. Would have been pretty mad. But I think the average person would know the difference between starvation and having a full belly and, like, a place to live that wasn't damp, dank, filled with rats disease and plagues just constantly smacking the population because of but, how filthy everything was because they didn't have okay. clean running water but how could they have how could they have made that assessment when there was nothing to compare it to they couldn't but you can look back at it and you can say like i'm, I'm giving you the option now you can be an average person in the dark ages or you can be an average person in the golden age of the roman empire it wouldn't like and you've just got to go yeah. like you've Take your chances on either of those. You've got a passport to one or the other. You get no options out of either. You're living there for the rest of your life. That's Which one f- would you choose? Sure, it's a fair point. Not even a chance. Like, you go to the golden age, right? Yep. I'd assume most everyone in the world would have would do so. Everyone in the world would. So, it's just this most thing of, like, they're saying, is this is the whole... And this is something that I, I've been thinking about a lot with the new stand-up. It's the next part that I've started to gel what I'm actually trying to say here on a deeper level. But you will notice, and I reckon that this will get clipped because it usually does get clipped on Twitter. As soon as you talk about Rome, the blue checks hate it. They go rabid over it. 
And you know what I think that links to? Really? This, yeah. They, they really... It's it's Rome. Rome really pisses off that kind of AUWU journalist crowd. I th- there's, there's, there's... As we discussed before in this, there's a general sense that happens in the upper class of now. They have this self-flagellation element that we've talked about that you can see reflective in all of their art. Mm. I think the next stage after that is because Rome is sort of the idealised mythic version of the Western civilization at its greatest. That's the example. And so that crowd that just... You know, as soon as you mention Jordan Peterson, instant, just barrages of hatred. That same type of person detests the idea of Rome. And so they're constantly always trying to make just the arguments just then of like, oh, well, who's to say that the Dark Ages wasn't any better? It was just a different culture. All cultures have their own pluses and minuses. This was just a change in events. They're trying to justify Mm. taking down the concept of Rome because it represents, I don't know, the patriarchy or like hierarchies or something in their mind that they detest. And that's sort of the dream in their mind that they despise. And so I think that the next stage of that is to just get into that whole postmodern idea of everything's relative. There's no such thing as better or worse. Mm. Everything's different. It's playing into that same area, I suppose, that we were talking about before that it's it's almost, yeah, those people like dread. They really like dread. They like living in that world that you're talking about of pointlessness. And actually, while you were talking about it, it reminded me, and I don't even know why we even had all of that because Jordan Peterson did sum it up really well when he said that the most evil thing you can do that the the that the Nazis invented was when they just took them to Auschwitz, they made them take a hundred kilo I can't remember how much it was, fifty kilo sack of salt from one end of the camp to the other, over and over and over again. Because you're just training it, you're really crushing their spirit with that. Because you're just saying like everything that you do is pointless. And like not only are you just filling their body with sores, but you're really crushing their soul by doing that. And I don't know. I think that that idea of just like, well, whatever, it's all change. Who cares? It's it's moving into that direction of. Mm. Sure, I I I, I'm, I don't think I'm trying to articulate. If it came across that I'm artic- trying to argue with you from that postmodern, cliched, grievance perspective, that's not really what I'm trying to say. Like, what I'm trying to say is that. Well, I'm I'm posing the question, is there always some cost to perceived progress? There's a, there's a sort of, there's a limit to how many basic needs we can fulfill collectively and say in fulfilling everyone's uh nutritional needs across the world, we've also then lost out on people's uh lust for purpose and, and, and meaning and we're now also overfed and but we, hey we did it we we gave everyone food 
And in order to do that, we had to pack that food with uh, very uh, unhealthy ingredients, high calories. And that's what's happening there then. Yeah. Mm. It's the solution of one problem creates other problems. And the question is, are those problems better quality problems or are they worse quality problems? Yep. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at there. Worse quality or better quality problems. But the whole thing is that just like, damn, that's something that's like very basic to existence. And in fact, that's, I was just getting into stories a lot recently, like every single story is a problem. Every story is a problem. Yeah. Even if you're talking about a new story, what is it? It's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's what they're constantly focusing on. Problems, problems. Your dreams, that's all your dreams are doing mm. is in a very absurd way trying to solve the problems that you were mulling over while you were awake. Yeah, well, that's what we are. We're problem solvers. Problem solvers. That's mm. it. This is what we're doing right now is just kind of thinking of something in the back of our mind that's sort of just like niggling there. Mm. You're just trying to tease out what that is. And another thing I just want to try and hash out is that I think there's a difference between saying from a given individual's perspective, the idea of progress can differ versus is there an objective measure to progress? And if we say something like the uh, proportion of human beings that have their basic needs met, now there's also a variety to how you would define basic needs, but I think a general consensus would be uh, relational, relational uh, financial, nutritional, you know, Mas- Maslow's hierarchy essentially. Mm. What what percentage of a given society are having those needs met? Mm. That that can be a barometer for progress. Mm. Would you say? Mm. Mm. That is, yeah, that's definitely a measurement of that. Surely. Mm. And then well, you know what? There's, there's a more advocate. hippie version of it. Yeah. Then okay. what, what's something that accentuates life? What about that? And that's what I think is. Mm corrosive about the internet because like us both of us have spent the better part of a decade now in that virtual world and the question is was it better well we don't know what the alternative would have been what are we comparing it to we put ourselves into a world where the internet hadn't existed i'm sure there would have been some other vice or you know uh new technology that may not have been fully fleshed out. We. I'm just very skeptical of the doom and gloom surrounding the internet. I know everyone. I I know I'm actually a minority here, but there's so much capacity for good. There's so much capacity for learning and for knowledge and for sharing ideas. Yet it also does bring out these just base, pernicious instincts. That we all hold. And if we can figure out cultural mechanisms to deal with that and to facilitate just the positive aspects of the internet 
and as a result, human flourishing. I think it can be an emphatic tool for good. That's a big if, though. I, I don't know if we have the ability to do that. Because social media is not right. like every other vice. It's not like alcohol, for example. It's, it, alcohol is always... You can make the argument that, okay, on a night out, alcohol can amplify the good times. Sure, but that's the limit. That's the ceiling to what it can do. Social media has the capacity to just educate every human being across the world and to transform the world for the better and to allow us access to ideas that we would never have otherwise been able to access in an efficient, extraordinarily efficient way. But it also has the capacity to put us all into virtual silos and to uh, give us just this hedonistic life of chasing the next dopamine hit, whether that be a certain amount of likes or the next video of Riley Reid eating out some fucking black girl's ass. I don't know. It needs to happen. Yeah. Very specific. And <laughs> <laughs> it just the, the, the potential for good and the potential for evil is so pronounced here. But this is the, yeah, but that's the whole thing. Yeah, right. Like, yes, it does do that. But does does it naturally slide into bringing out the worst instincts into people? Right now, yes. But I I hope, and I I do think that we will develop ways to contend with it and to deal with it. Having said that, it is evolving at such a rapid pace that whatever mechanisms we develop to extract the positive elements from social media may just become outdated in a matter of five years. And that's my main concern. Hmm. 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 I just don't know. I, I, you know, we also do have so much to thank for social media. Look at Look at where we are. I don't know if I don't know if just having a but that's, that's purely what cynical view is. No, no, no. Because usually I'm on board with you. Yeah. The only the only thing I'm saying is like, as as what you were saying before, what was the sacrifice? And that's yeah. what I can't figure out. Mm. And again, I guess it's because we spent most of our time sitting on it. But I think that a big sacrifice was, God, your life feels artificial if that's what you do. If you Devote yourself to the algorithm. It, it's like, like it's, that. That's what I'm saying. There's like pretty much a second life. The that, algorithm is your god. <laughs> god damn. It is our god. For sure. <laughs> it is our god. All right. Well, it you, decides who like lives that. and dies. Jesus. Yeah. And also like, and, and we have to abide by it. And there's certain things that we can do to gain its favor. And. The, the, Whoa. What? Go on. No, I was just thinking, because I always compare being on the internet to being a farmer of yesteryear where, you know, if the harvest was good, it improves other areas of your life. You have this sort of base level of equanimity and contentment. However, if the harvest is bad, it also uh, has a flow-on effect to every other aspect of your life. And I think you can make a parallel. You know, there's a parallel between the harvest and the attention you're getting on social media. So mm. uh, in the same way, farmers throughout history developed a 
things like religion and concepts greater than self to try and make sense of the natural world and the sort of volatile nature of the elements, do you think we'll develop some form of religion to better understand the volatile nature of the algorithm and have to give sacrifices and and pray in order to get a good harvest of likes for that week because that's what we need to survive and to feed our family. Dude, it's like... It's not out of the question. No, no, no. It's... It's... Basically, what's happening? We're there. More, yeah, we're there. We're there. Wait, so maybe so there was an ad- okay. So there was an adaptive quality for the farmer who sacrificed to the rain god because there was something out of their control, possibly, and there was a sense of uh, a power greater than themselves. Yet the the farmer that was like, "Oh, stupid fucking rain god, always changing the rain and." The rain god sucks. It just doesn't, it doesn't, it's not good to me because I do crops that aren't mainstream, that aren't, you know, I do different crops, I do unique crops. Could you make a a kind of parallel, like, like draw, draw a similarity there to, say, a, a, a YouTuber or some sort of personality that says, well, the, the algorithm sucks. It's just like, you know, it, it, it benefits chicks who just have big tits and an ass. <laughs> Whereas maybe there'd be some sort of adaptive quality to saying, yeah, I just have to sacrifice to the algorithm. I just have to accept that this is what the algorithm wants and it's making me a better farmer or a better person. And <laughs> after just try and adapt to the ever-changing conditions of the algorithm and I'm going to sacrifice my third child to the algorithm. <laughs> oh, my God. And also, dude. The algorithm helps those who help themselves. And that is like Mm -hmm. a true rule of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is God. Yeah, you have to. Oh, my God. (laughs) You have to leave some. I'm going to be like, you have to save some of the crop yield for a rainy day. You can't really save likes, can you? You can bank a few videos. Well, that's subs. Subs is harvest. It's like (laughs) storing it in a granary. Yeah, I guess. Don't you think a subscriber is kind of just like, uh, yeah, it's 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 preserved. It's not as good as the real thing, which is views. Sure, <laughs> but it'll get you through. It'll get you through winter. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm not liking this analogy. I've got the to say, it's it's the government feeding on it more. Yeah. Wait, wait, who is the Vikings that just come in and burn all your crops and take your women? Yeah. Oh my. God. Yeah. 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 This is there's a strong analogy that can be made here. Not not barbarians. They're um. Wow. The English in Braveheart. Don't you reckon they're kind of just like by decree of the king. <laughs> We're taking Scott, all of your likes. That's Scott Morrison yeah. right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we really are just simple farmers, even though we're uh, we're like the first farmers because the first farmers maybe would have been superstars. They're, oh my god, you can create all this grain and all this food. We're not the first farmers. No, D- we're not. But what we're are early, we? We're, we're like early probably thir- we, we're early farmers. We're very early farmers, but now already like early in just Bronze the Age farmers ten, in the space of ten years. Everyone who's 15 has a TikTok account and is uh, trading in that currency. And uh, the, the agrarian society of uh, 
early America where everyone basically just owned a farm and that's where I think liberalism was actually very effective because look you couldn't really this there's only so much the state could do when there was no technology to facilitate major uh, um organizations like the police force so it made sense for people to be able to freely wield their own weapons because there was no phone to call the police or there's no you know the sheriff would have had to ride on horseback five days to get to where you were but anyway the point is like a whole new political and philosophical system of ideas evolved because the environment evolved and the average worker was doing something very different to what they may have been doing hundreds of years ago and so now the average worker is, I, I was actually do think as you say in your videos every chick has like entrepreneur in their bio it, it's going to become so lucrative and so uh accessible to just sell something online whatever it may be that we all really are going to be just sort of digital agrarians it's just a digital agrarian society where everyone is basically in the same way everyone operated some form of farm in the <laughs> early america everyone's just operating some kind of online business whatever it may be and oh my god few overlords and we just have to pray for a good harvest Okay, so the algorithm's God. Yeah. The government's the king. So comedians are just people who produce grain. And then hot girls are people who produce, I don't know, maize, corn, whatever the fuck. They're all that. Yeah. But who are who are the feudal lords? Like David Dobrik and shit? Is it? <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess so. <laughs> okay, so you and the... me. <laughs> what what about those like? Okay, so there's uh, the, those big YouTubers in America that's just like, yo, let's do the hype house, yo. They're yeah. the feudal. Oh shit, they are the feudal overlord, and they have like twenty farmers Basically. working for. They've created. Oh my god, <laughs> they have, haven't they? They've just created a little citadel, and then there's all these farms outside of the citadel. Wow. And they're farming all of those views. Man, this this analogy. Let's keep going. Um, <laughs> okay. how uh, we're, we're back to a uh, polytheistic society. Until Google or Facebook can just monopolize all of social media, there are different gods. So it's whether you pray to the TikTok algorithm or whether you pray to the Facebook algorithm, and that will actually determine what you produce. So in b before monotheism, do you think the people who prayed to a different god, it actually altered what they produced and how they lived their life? Yeah, I'm sure it did. Yeah, because one of them was just like, please give me my 15 seconds of fame. Sure. All the other ones saying, please give me my TV show, which would be YouTube. Hmm. And And... Instagram, what's that? Please give me the digital equivalent of a billboard. What would be the symbol of each of these? Instagram, the god would just be a, an ass. Definitely. <laughs> um, Definitely. Although that could be TikTok. I mean, I mean, all of them could. They could all be asses, but like Instagram's sure. the ass. YouTube, I reckon it's a microphone because what you really want out of YouTube no, you know what? Spotify would be the microphone. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, because you want people listening to whatever it is that you're either saying or singing. 
YouTube, maybe it's a screen. It is a screen. Hang on. We've got to think of something else for it. Facebook is the like button. It's definitely the like button. Facebook's the like button. That's what you're chasing. You're chasing a mass amount of likes. And Twitter, it would probably be the maybe the retweet. Because really, that's what you want. Or the follow. Uh, yeah. I wonder if we'll actually conceptualize, like we'll personify these ideas that we've... What about this? What about this? YouTube is the smiling mask in that theater sign of the smiling and the and the frowning face in theater. Yeah. Okay. Twitter is the frowning face. That's a good one. Sure. Yeah, that actually works. Yeah, the jet the, the Jekyll and I, the God, God and Satan. <laughs> God and Satan. Yep. Yep. Do you think God and Satan. Twitter is Satan. If we actually exist in these virtual reality bubbles. And they are. Like the the, the followers of Twitter, they're Satanists. Complete not a Satanist. Yes. And we'll, we'll actually, the, you know, babies will just grow up in this completely virtual reality where they maybe even live in a tribe of a hundred dispersed across the world. They just share some sort of common ideas and they'll actually be just this completely reformed version of social Darwinism, wherein each unique tribe, if they can develop adap- adaptive ways of appeasing the algorithm gods, they will prosper. So maybe if one unique virtual tribe of a hundred actually comes up with ideas about sacrifice and uh, delayed gratification and conceptualizes them in in deities and beings, then that will allow that particular tribe to prosper and spread and ultimately succeed. It's so, look, as we started with this, it's not that far off. No, yeah, this is the thing. It's like this could legitimate, this is even not, it's not that unbelievable. No. (laughs) And then the- Evolutionary versions of tribes, I suppose, true. and and, And social media becomes, the algorithm just- evolves in itself it is actually the powerful omnipotent and omniscient ai let's get those words omniscient is all knowing isn't it omnipotent is everywhere there's another one anyway uh and so there's no actual human workers involved in the so in social media anymore and and that's the way we're ultimately enslaved by machinery it's an AI algorithm that is beyond our control, continues to evolve because there's some sort of embedded mechanism that the nerds at Facebook have put into it to compete with the algorithm of Google and to compete with the algorithm of TikTok. And we exist in these virtual worlds and somehow are still given sustenance. Dude, it's it's Plato's cave. If you're born with an Oculus headset on, Yet somehow you're still given your basic lifeblood and sustenance through however, I don't know. That, that, that'll probably be what it comes down to, just a nutrition pill that's fed to you every now and again. And Amazon uh, Amazon drones are just delivering that to everyone. And Because Amazon actually 
takes over one of the big social media companies and has some sort of uh, incentive to keep everyone. Amazon is actually the aliens of the Matrix, and they have an incentive to keep everyone with their virtual reality headset on and to... And and then and they can still facilitate some form of mating, but in this virtual world. And somehow, as soon as that baby is born, the the Oculus headset goes on to them. So they don't. They're in Plato's cave. They're hollow. We don't actually exist outside of that. No one ever thinks to take that headset off because you're immersed in whatever reality it may be. You develop, you grow, and you learn, and you build relationships in that given reality. And whatever reality you're in is just formulated by maybe by chance through an algorithm or maybe actually through uh, some form of uh, other algorithm. And within these little digital tribes, we don't understand that world because we just exist. We're just a hundred human beings trying to make sense of this world. And so we create deities and, and symbols that help us try and understand that world and, and it's and it's yeah it's polytheistic because there's TikTok and there's YouTube and there's Instagram and there's Facebook and we don't really know how that algorithm operates and how to actually generate likes and ad revenue but but we sort of understand that the Got more some guidelines yeah the more ad revenue we we generate the more we get to eat and, yeah and they tie likes to like the sustenance pills that that Amazon drones are just giving out and 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 that's the way and that's our existence from from 2050 moving forwards and then it obviously begs the question are we already in that virtual reality but there's a dystopian novel there there's a whole dystopian series of novels there digital we, 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 dude, we, like in a way Gen Y has a lot to answer for, but it also was this very interesting generation that had a foot in both worlds. We remember the analog world, and we also, some of us made the jump into the digital world. Yep, we're the last. And we're sort of just playing in between both of those. We're the last Jedis. The last Jedis. And Gen Z is completely in that world, and they have no real distinction or memory of that old one. So they're they're completely immersed in that new Mm. algorithm god universe. Mm. So this isn't even a question to them. Really, what we're doing is we're weighing up which of those two were better. But it's happened. It's happened. Well, it's happened. They've completely. So, like what you're saying there, like really, you're you're talking about the new age of early farmers, and this new world is. Yeah, it's just the electronic world of five thousand BC, ten thousand BC. Yep, and maybe the the first civilization will evolve in another three hundred years, the equivalent of ancient Egypt. Let me, let me ask you this then. What what are what are YouTube channels like Epic Meal Time in this world where they used to have six million subs and now you look at it and they're like thirty thousand people are watching them eat a huge lasagna? The forgotten the forgotten ones. Well they're just large scale farmers that didn't innovate and or adapt. They were sort of the first ones that got the general gist of how to farm 
Well, the next step after individuals or just small tribes learn how to farm was building complex societies with rigid hierarchies and so you'd have to come together with a group of other bits i don't know the side men or something they're the first the complex society or the hype house something like that that would be the first uh the first step on the path to digital egypt this is great. Well, I yeah, wonder you... what digital Egypt... There must be a digital Egypt already. We just don't know about it. We're yeah. sort of in no, our we... own little pocket of uh, the world and we've just discovered cultivating in Australia. No, okay. You know those, you know those massive talent agencies that look after, say... I don't know, like superwoman and things like that. That that's there's a pharaoh there. Sure, we're not really there yet. I think because once we hit virtual reality, that's where it's going to change. Because what will what will inevitably happen is well, there's no sort of overarching propaganda, if you will. There's no sort of state narrative or there's no national narrative, and so people will just exist in their tribal bubbles, and then. And I know that's what everyone says about social media already. People will literally exist in their tribal bubbles because uh, the, the group of 100 that have a different idea about what 10th wave patriarchal anti-post-feminism is will then differentiate from whatever anti-patriarchal 9th post-wave feminism is and say, okay, we're, we don't want... No, those ideas are tainted. And, and, and sort of it will bring out the, the puritanical nature of, of Homo sapiens to such a degree that they will they will just detach from the the larger population and and, and build a community of a hundred in this virtual reality sphere where they're then after you know a couple of generations they they, they no longer remember the ideas that uh, they were exposed to that their forebears were exposed to and so, they just exist in their own little tribe then. And and they're, they're, somehow maybe there's some connection when people send a virtual friend request or whatever, but they're just so fearful of that and they're not willing to engage. Or, or, or some people do engage and then they're found and then it's it leads to some form of conflict or Fuck. it's it's just it's a bunch actual... of uncontacted tribes <laughs> uncontacted digital virtual reality tribes in thousands of years when like there's the, the next variation of digital western society they go out and find uncontacted <gasps> virtual tribes <laughs> oh, God, holy shit <laughs> maybe there's like a Neil and Jordan uh, as it just evolves over like the next 50 60 years there's actually a neil and jordan tribe that are just so consumed and constantly listening to or like just re- repeating the patterns and the norms of what we may have you know engendered hundreds or thousands of years ago and then there's like the new version of western society that discovers that or discovers like the gary v virtual reality tribe <laughs> <laughs> and they're just they're just blown away by how like unevolved they oh whoa <laughs> because you'd need to actually and, okay, go and, and discover the tribes again you'd need to 
Now that is the plot of a major Netflix series. You cut fast forward to like 10,000 AD and there's one lone person who's trying to bring all the virtual tribes together. If the algorithm is actually that potent and powerful, there's no do, way to Do you to think actually... that you follow in that Netflix series, do you follow one of the uncontacted tribes? Maybe. And then they yeah. figure out at the end that... So a simulation, Mio. They're like, oh, shit, we were in the cave. Is that the angle you go for? Or do you kind of just... I do really like the idea. You know what's really... It's very interesting about that idea. Hmm. I feel like there's one really good way to do that. And then there's a bunch that will just end up like a Netflix version of... Sinbad the Sailor, you know, just mm. really corny crap. There's, Probably. There, there's there's a there's, lot of crappy ways to do it. There's a lot of crappy ways to do it, but there's one way that I can guarantee you would just be one of those sort of just just an absolute classic of a series that kind of just mm. you know, really describes like where we're going and who we are. Yeah. I actually do well, like the basis of it. I really do. Well, to prevent that dystopia, we have to be willing to extend olive branches to people we disagree with because the natural progression from uh, the, 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 the development of digital echo chambers, once VR becomes a reality and, and the algorithm becomes too powerful even for Zuckerberg or Bezos... Well, we're going to be literally living in VR silos. And the only way to uh, uh, mitigate against that possibility is to actually start now and say, well, no, we need to be willing to exist in, in, in other echo chambers and, and listen to uh, other people. It's as simple as that. But in that universe, what will be the environmental elements separating us? Is that going to be the algorithm when you're in virtual reality? Well, that would be kind of like how there's an ocean between continents, surely. Yeah, I wonder how you actually contact the uncontacted tribes. <laughs> how do you do it? Yeah, yeah someone someone will figure it out in there. But you have to, yeah, because because they've then like. It's gotten to a point where they can't act. They're in whatever virtual reality they've created. It's so far down the the feed, or I don't know what it would be. Because this is the whole you'd thing. Like, go. If, you know what it would have to be? You'd have to go back. Sorry, but like you'd have to go back. You know, to say Facebook groups that existed in two thousand and eight, and open up that and see. Oh, there's still ten members that. Or in this group. It would be like that, but we're talking hundreds of years. So someone would have to find the original ledger of Facebook and and go back thousands of years and oh look at this group. Hey, people still exist in this group. Mm. Let's ask to join. And for the first time that tribe is like, oh, what? What does that mean? They they they're so you know, maybe there was some form of way uh that uh people in a given virtual reality tribe would would um understand that someone's trying to join but they've been so far removed from the rest of digital society and no one's tried to join that like thousands of years down the line 
whatever that notification in virtual world is. It's so foreign to them that they're like, what's going on? What's happening? Uh, Satan is coming. You know, they, they just wouldn't have any clue. And then they'd see another virtual person and they'd just be, would be it would be like, you know, when the Singalese or whatever that little island across, of, of Sri Lanka is, when they first see a ship or, or a white man, it's exactly that that reaction. Fear triggering violence. Yeah. Would be the automatic response. Mm. Look, do you think that that's what's going to happen or do you think that they're just going to, in the <laughs> virtual world, just be like, here's virtual LA, go interact? Yeah, I don't know what it's actually going to be like because there's so many possibilities and who the hell knows. Um, but that was a very, that was a fun little exploration. Let God, us know it is it is it's, it's it is really freaking me out though, and it did actually put a lot of things into perspective from what I was originally saying at the beginning of this, which is that we're farmers. Yeah, I think we're you know, early yeah, stage yeah, we're farmers. Early that stage really explains farmers. every question I had about existence right now. Well, I'm glad I could farmers have, without uh, a product. Glad I could articulate the meaning of existence to you, Jordan. It's pretty amazing, actually. You did that, but be like, imagine if like Twitter was a god. Yeah, some guy with a backwards baseball cap. Bro, imagine if there were like a bunch of virtual tribes and like that the like it was like Plato's cave, but like you, you just didn't know. Keep going. Close to the wall. There you go. All right, let's. Uh, this is definitely going to be a two-part series. There. So, uh, how about we end on a question? How about that? Go for it. Okay. Have you seen The Twilight Zone? All right. This is a question from Jet. Hey, guys. I was wondering if you guys had any insight slash observation on how music has impacted modern culture. I know this is a pretty broad question, but I thought you may have something of value to add. Well, coming full circle back to what Jordan initially said in what will most likely be the last podcast, uh, I think hip-hop has certainly... Uh, influenced the hustle grind culture of today and that's a very simplistic narrow answer to what is a very very broad question because i think humans are just intrinsically musical and i think throughout nature you see songbirds and uh, whale songs you know there's there's a sort of musical element to many life forms and it's a way that we can articulate certain feelings that may not be able to uh, uh, be expressed in language. And it really uh, it appeals to our senses deeply. And music will always have uh, influenced modern culture. I think specifically, yeah, I think, you know, if you want to be really conservative here, uh, the the hedonism following the 60s, if you will, or the, what initially started as rebellion, has definitely influenced um, what we see as normal and, and culturally appropriate and how we live our lives. Do you think that that's what's happening or do you think that culture is influencing music? It's not the other way around. That's a bit of both. It's a chicken and egg. You reckon it's a chicken and egg? It's, it's Well, you know, I think they're both influencing each other hand in hand. I think for some reason people always have this 
idea in their mind that music changes the world. Whereas, you know, paintings, for instance, are sort of just a reflection of society. But for some, why does music get this certain little pedestal over it? I suppose because it forces you to feel things a lot more than art does. Really? That's a big call. I don't know about that. Good art, good art can also force you to feel certain things. I mean, none of them are really making Michael Jackson waves, are they? <laughs> anything that, like, actually out of sure. anything. Okay. Yeah, look, I don't get any, the same any response. modern. You don't, do you? Like, when I look at the Mona Lisa, then when I listen to Thriller. <laughs> you just don't. This is not even comparable. And let's go further than that. Art gallery. We're going to see Michael Jackson in concert. completely different universe in fact probably seeing michael jackson in concert this is probably why people think that it changes that way around is i think that it's really just music actually makes you feel more than all the other art forms probably okay but would you say that uh to answer your initial question of does music change the world or does the world change music good music and i think good art in general is both a reflection of the world but also says something about the world that may be edifying or hortatory. I just learned that word. That's a good word. And therefore it actually changes the world as well as being a reflection of the world. So Black Mirror, for example, again, we're stepping away from music here, but it's a reflection of the world, but in following that through line of what the world is currently to what it may be in 20 or 30 years, it also says something about human nature and how we can uh, stray from that nefarious path. So it's, it's, it, it both reflects the current world and, and changes what would otherwise have been the future world. And I think good music can do that too, don't you think? So, I don't know, probably, take something about like, like, like punk in the 70s. Well, that was a reflection of a... Again, if you've studied music, by all means, tell me if I'm completely off the mark here. But, well, it spoke to a certain subculture that felt they didn't fit into mainstream society. So, in that sense, it's a reflection of the way the, the world back then wasn't inclusive to a certain group. But that group was so uh, potent and significant in their articulation of of themselves and and the world that they then influenced a critical mass of people to then ultimately change the world in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, change it permanently, change the course of the world. But what it was doing, and you're right, if you think about it, it was it was giving an emotional tone mm. to a way that as you're saying like a collective subculture felt that's what was happening there so and as a- i suppose that you're saying like yeah okay i guess it like it 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 moved it into somewhere as well but like Dude, this is really hippie, but you know what I think is actually happening? I think it's actually kind of like 
kind of solidifying a vibration. I think that's sort of what's going on. Because, like, punks, what was it? It was kind of a rejection of things like Olivia Newton-John and yeah. mullets and... You know, you know, actually, my mom actually said something that was, like, fucking amazing words. I was like, hey, what do you think of Hall and & Oates? And her yeah. response was, I've tried my whole life not to think about Hall and & Oates. And I think that that really sums up punk mentality was there was just this sort of like 80s, like, yeah, super optimism, mullets. And, and there was a, were, a section yeah. of people that was just like, fuck, that's disgusting. And like every time you talk to punks from the 80s about the 80s and they're always saying, like, they hate the 80s with a passion. With a passion. Yeah, so they were the rebellious. They were the rebellious. Uh, and so the music group. was just this real like, yeah, yeah, because it was just... <laughs> Trying to basically drown out the 80s. That's that's really what was doing. They'd just be like, shut the fuck up. Sure. Hmm. Let's think about the the question in the context of how... Think about the world today and how have certain styles or genres of music impacted today's culture because I think that's actually what he's trying to get at. Well, what about this? Rap, for instance... Oh, that's definitely impacted young men in particular. Well, let's just track it for a second. 90s. Mm-hmm. Quite gangstery, you know, like East Coast is all chill and everything, I suppose. But it's still very gangstery and cold. 2000s. And, and like rejecting of the white man was like a huge thing in it. Then you get into the 2000s. <laughs> the what? 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 the way you said that. <laughs> uh... <laughs> how 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 close to Snoop Dogg is that? You, tell me honestly, no, is that no. really far off? Yeah, it's pretty far off, <laughs> but it's like you're kind of making fun of it too, so it makes it funny. The wife, <laughs> yeah, because that's all. That's yeah, you're right. Man. I can't. You know, you know, Two was actually saying that the other day. She was like, "You can't act for shit." I was like, "Well, thank you very much." And she was saying Ouch. that. Yeah, she was saying every time you ever do an accent, it's not you doing an accent. It's you doing a cartoon version of that accent. And so... Yeah, you've trained yourself to be a comedian, haven't you? That's what's happened. It's two different skills. It's two different... So every time you ever put on a voice, your immediate thinking is, how do you turn this into a joke instead of like, how do you embody... You you can't even... I can't even think about seriously trying to do... A Snoop Dogg character. I mean, Snoop Dogg's a bad example because he is a joke anyway. You know, sure. But- <laughs> yeah, but yeah, if someone asked you to, to impersonate someone from Western Sydney, but accurately, you'd be like, oh my, bro, I did this and oh my God, bro, I love that. Yeah. But let's like, just, you wouldn't get cast in a serious drama about Christ, someone from no, Western Sydney. No, 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 no. <laughs> but uh, go but on, yeah, like, So that was 90s rap, but then, yes, 2000s rap, it was far more opulent and all about partying and, and well, 90s was still about bitches and, and hoes. And- well, what happened? You know what happened? They cleaned it up for a mass market. But so NWA was still had quite a large mass appeal, didn't, didn't they? Or, I mean, it's before my time, but... You know what I think NWA has? Yeah. I think NWA has respect within hipsters because it's obvious, like, cultural beliefs. I think a lot of 
people always go, oh, yeah, NWA was dope. But um, how often do you listen to NWA, really? I think everyone always just says, yeah, yeah, they were mad. They're not really in your top 25, are they? Yeah. No. Thriller is. Maybe fucking shake your money maker by ludicrous is. (laughs) Wait, what did NWA do? (laughs) Fuck the police and uh, the other... What was their other big one? Ah, oh, I knew all the. I know all the words to fuck the police. Oh, how cringe is that? The little chubby Indian kid trying to impress all, everyone by knowing all the words to fuck the police. Like I've ever <laughs> had any major issues with the police. And <laughs> straight out of Compton, obviously. That's another one. Uh, yeah, both great songs. Really appeal to that angry youth. So far removed from that because it was angry white boys singing that shit. And you're not, you're not straight out of Compton, no. John. John. But look, that's how much that culture has impacted today. It's surely that that song "Fuck the Police" has 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 influenced the Black Lives Matter movement of today. You know what? It always seems. It seems to be following, if we're looking at these two examples, a very obvious pattern of a bunch of angry young men mm-hmm. coming up with the counterculture and then that getting co-opted by commercial forces and then getting mellowed out a lot until it becomes the main culture and then everyone thinks, oh, this sucks. And then some more ugly, like angry loner men are just like, you fuck this, wow. we'll make our own music. Because <laughs> that's punk. You said it. You said it. That You just... You just solved culture. Because you know what I was thinking about the other day? Ah, bang on about this. Clearly, there's some projection going on here as well. But I think Dave Chappelle culturally appropriated the alt-right culture of 2015. Because he's saying the exact same things Milo and, and all his ilk were saying six years ago. He's just made it a lot more commercially viable. Because you can't be that edgy when a giant corporation like Netflix is in your corner. And so this is the first stage of the commercialization of alt-right culture. Because what you were talking about on the Steve Bannon podcast has now sort of uh, extended its tentacles into the mainstream. So that a, a mainstream artist is now an edgy but still mainstream artist if they espouse watered-down versions of those ideas i mean they're never going to come out with the like george soros runs the world and jews have taken over the media but hey look they're definitely going after the trans community which is exactly what everyone on youtube 4chan and the, the spheres i operated in online back then did so i don't see it as edgy when uh, now, yeah, you know. oh my god, that was what was, and you know what else? Yeah. All my Gen Y hipster friends are like, oh my god, Dave Chappelle is really pushing the envelope with this one, and I have to sit there with gritted teeth, going, yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was really something, all right. When he exactly that when said like really watered down Milo Yiannopoulos points and then added a lot of I'm black, what about me? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yep. And now I don't know if you've heard of the rapper Tom McDonald, but he's a white rapper 
that uh, has a lot of songs. Like he's got a song called like, "I've Been Cancelled" and like I'm a you know. Oh, it's one of them like clown peeled like, or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've heard that TikTok noise where it's like step one, separate the left from the right. Step two, um, take take the you know. Uh, take the kids out of school. I don't know. There's these nine steps to like create situational design. It's just, it's pretty, I think it's catchy and I think it was clearly a market for it, but um, it's, it's a sort of commercialized version again of what was, I would call alt-right culture of 2015. Like, like, like it is now at that stage where it is becoming just slightly more commercialized. Fuck. And you know what? I think credit to Milo, even though Milo, and this is always the same thing, I suppose, when it comes to these culture shifters. Yes, okay, as we were talking about before, Bannon was the true mastermind of it, but I think Milo Yiannopoulos actually can hang his hat on what he was saying about himself when they say, you're a has-been, and he was like, no, dude, I was, I was the tip of the spear. Like, I was the vanguard in really pushing forward all of these ideas that are now just commonly accepted. I actually And he, like, took all of the arrows. You know what? Uh, Yeah. Someone was saying, you know, Dave Chappelle's doing that. He's taking the arrows. It's like, no, okay, Milo Milo did that. Okay, (laughs) he's not really taking the arrows, man. Like, that guy is well and truly cancelled. Like, he doesn't have a YouTube channel. I tried to look for it the other day. It doesn't exist. Still there. Is it? It's getting very, very minimal views. And then there was a lot of things that occurred where he then left his husband and is now repentant of his homosexuality. And I don't know if he's just trying to appease the, you know, conservative Christian market. I don't know, but it is, yeah, it's, it's... He's definitely fallen from grace in a massive way. However, but Ben that, Shapiro it, back then was also uh, a, a prominent voice. Yes, so I remember bitch. these are those two people. Sorry, I, but these are these two. When modern education went viral, two people, yet yeah, Ben Shapiro retweeted it, Milo retweeted it, and then a lot of people were like, man, you're you, you aware that these controversial figures retweeted your film? And I, I didn't even know who the fuck they were. Really? Not not, not then, not at the end of 2015. There you go. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know who any of them were. And then Alex Jones mentioned it a few times, twice, I think. He's like, I don't know who Neil Kidd is, but he's good. And then like, someone sent that to me. I'm like, I didn't even know who he was. Really? Yeah, and then Breitbart made an article about the film. Mm. So, you know, in 2015, for those people to have been like, this guy's good. That Again, I don't want to like say, Dave's not edgy. I did it six years ago. But like, dude, yeah, that was fucking edgy back then. I like to think. But now I'm like, man. It's accepted we've now. We've heard it. We've heard it, the trans jokes. Like, it, it's not. Maybe it's just me because I've been so exposed to that. But anyway, I don't want to digress too much. No, but I think that's actually – that's something that – it it was a distinction that I was talking to my editor who actually listens to this podcast all the time. But he was saying – I can get his argument right now. I'm self-conscious about the fact that he's listening. But he he was – he was just – I couldn't remember what he was saying that our generation laughs at a lot, but his generation laughed at a lot 
you know, like Sam Hyde walking into a, a gay stand-up night and just being like, here's how much more likely you are to get AIDS if you're gay than if you're straight. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, they laugh heaps at yeah, someone yeah. doing that kind – that was edgy to them, right? And they really liked edgy humour. Yeah. I suppose because they grew up in that world that but, – but like in our world, it's not that edgy to say that. No. And so we had to reclaim it not being that edgy to say that, where they saw both ends of that. I don't know, man, because I remember being in high school and, and the edgy things to say were to go against what are, I guess, the accepted cultural norms of today. So I remember even in high school, I had this sort of sad, nerdy, contrarian streak where I'd try and like argue with the teacher defending the white Australia policy and just stuff like that. And like, right, like, okay. Yeah, and I'd like yeah. defend, um, you know, like fossil fuels or things just because I purely was just trying to be edgy. Like, I didn't know what I was saying. I was just like a 17-year-old, not even don't 15 you year old. Miss, yeah. I was like, well, do, do, you know, don't you think like the Pacific nations need to uh, make money? And they're like, they actually didn't have an argument to that because <laughs> I was brown. <laughs> like, I was saying stuff like, um, I was saying stuff like, uh, well, yeah, when there was... A lot of talk about, like, indigenous cultures and things. I was always, yeah, the edgy one trying to play devil's advocate. And, again, I was just saying it for the sake of it. But I don't think that's like, – back even then it would have been edgy to say, like, yeah, being gay gives you AIDS because it was just constantly shoved down your throat about how – not that I disagree with it, but it's just, you know, you, you, you have to be accepting, you have to be tolerant. And that's why it's sexist jokes will continue to be funny because it's particularly teenage boys, for whatever reason, have this edgy streak to them. And as long as you keep saying, you know, it's so inappropriate to say this, it's so mean to say this, they're going to say it. As soon as you start saying it's normal to see women as inferior, that's when it, teenage boys are going to be like, no, I reckon they're equal. <laughs> That's how how you actually mansplain to you how to do feminism. (laughs) So I guess I think with uh, music, what is edgy now? I still think Kanye West doing like a Jesus, a gospel album is sort of a bit like what maybe the alt-right was five, six years ago in that yeah, everyone, because it's Kanye, people still bought the album and a lot of my Christian friends actually were posting about it. I found that very interesting but I, I, I that and that was still commercially successful so i don't know how truly edgy that is but something like that i i wonder if in five to ten years there'll just be a lot of people doing jesus songs com- but commercially so that it always takes one the, the, the true original contrarian doing something just so beyond the pale and that whatever's considered not accepted, they just do it. Now, I'm sure that also exists in music and I mean, you can trace back a line through. No, I think I think when it comes to like the Jesus thing with Kanye West, he's just figured out, ooh, I can press this button and it's going to create all of this controversy. It's, it's a little yeah. bit different to having a cause behind it, which I think is interesting about, I think that the reason that most of the time it seems like music is changing culture is because it was the only way that was sort of accessible to the average population mm, true. before the internet. And that's what's interesting because now that you're mentioning that there was these uh, Milo figures, now it's moved to talking. Yeah. Talking has replaced music because it's a better way of articulating your argument, whereas before it was kind of just like this is a repetitive way of drumming in the simple points. 
that are going to change the culture where this is just someone just sitting down for an hour straight being like, here's why that's stupid. Which is good in a way if people were using music as a way to facilitate cultural change because it was a simplistic way to appease and appeal to the masses. You know what else is weird? Okay, Jordan Peterson always has the thing of self-help to stick back on. But it is sort of the same as Milo Yiannopoulos. Sort of the same as Jordan Peterson. It's just kind of like their their use. Their use has expired. And they probably won't get another shot at that. And that's sort of what's happened to counterculture music over the time. There's just like after their point of view becomes sort of more accepted, what's the point of them at that point? Yeah, now, Jordan no, Peterson's yeah, yeah, yeah. been able to transfer it a lot more to the mm. than the other ones have because mm. Yeah, the, 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 but he's just like as everyone always says about him they're always just saying he's not what he was before the painkiller stroke or whatever it was. Yeah, and that's also because I think there's just a lot more people now articulating similar thoughts that were considered so beyond the pale even just 4 years ago. Yeah, he's now just a, he's actually just a large YouTuber now. <laughs> he just uh, interviews with people that I thought I'd. He's on the Roommates podcast, which is a podcast I watch about dating, and I thought, ah. Oh. But he, yeah, he's definitely lost that aura about him. He's got that. He's got that sort of. Who is the Edgelord now? There isn't one really. There isn't someone that's really articulating. Be- you know what? It's because the mainstream culture still has. It's still now edgy to be ultra, whatever that term even bloody means. But I think there's a vibe associated with that, and we'll go with that. So it's still not fully accepted by the mainstream. So someone like Dave Chappelle, right, is just that next step without it having become fully mainstream. And and okay, in ten years. If brands are making ads that say we believe in free speech and women are real women, that's when it's no longer edgy. <laughs> That'll be the day. <laughs> and then it will become edgy again to say, no, actually, like, no, transgender is a construct. <laughs> they go in cycles. I don't know if that'll actually be the opinion that is edgy, but some variation of that. You know what I was actually like, and you're right, it's it's... I found Bill Maher actually quite intolerable, which is a real sad moment for me, actually, because, like, I I always just saw him as such a pinnacle of what I could be, I suppose. But I think it's because he's gone down that same line and he's saying it in a mainstream way, the same things that they were saying, which is like, we've got to end wokeness. But he's not not going hard enough and he's skirting around it a bit like Mm. Dave Chappelle was a bit, you know, just... Not really going for the guts of the actual issue, just sort of hinting towards it. And it's just like, just say it. Just say it or go back to making gay jokes. Don't sit there and be like, mm. it's okay to make these jokes, you know? Like, one or the other. Like, really just n- nut down into the core of what you're trying to say here, as opposed to just kind of going out to the peripheries and going like, that's a little bit too far in the other direction. 
which is what the, the mainstream is doing now, where they're just yeah. being like, I think this wokeness has gone a little bit too far. Yeah. But I'm going to give very, very extreme examples of it that no one agrees with. And in the same, and that actually plays into the whole woke narrative because they, their whole ethos is that uh, white fragility exists and people who have a vested interest in maintaining the system will always fight against our ideas. That's exactly what's happening. So it's just going to sort of embolden them. But music certainly has influenced the culture today. Yes, and I think back but to now, the music I listened to in the early 2000s and mid-2000s and what was on the top 40 charts back then. And I think uh, a lot of that was just expressions of opulence and hedonism it was just yeah i got these five bitches and i got that cadillac and it's basically you could just sum up all commercial hip-hop like that and then the pop music who was big in the mid 2000s i don't know justin timberlake pink she's still big now pink. fuck yeah yeah jesus pink pop music if is always you listen to the project you'll love pink oh <laughs> Yeah, she's now like the, the musician for for like kind of overweight mums. I don't know why. Oh I think about Pink and I think about like a, a, a an overweight mum with like short hair, like not quite a Karen yet. Mm. You know, <laughs> mm. love your Pink. I'm going to the Pink concert. <laughs> oh, Carrie Bickmore is going to introduce it. Fucking ex husband. <laughs> yes, he's a Pink fan. That's so fucking true. <laughs> All I need is my kids. And then, oh, oh god. And then I go. Let's go to two thousand tens. Even hip hop went through like a kind of postmodern phase, don't you think? We like Lil B started that. If they're like, I'm Bill Clinton, fucking all these bitches, swag, 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 swag. Like he he popularized that just. Saying swag repetitively, and then Justin Bieber was doing it five years later. So it's just there's always some weird edgy artist that does some shit that just for the sake of doing it, and then it gains popularity and notoriety, and then some mainstream. It it sort of becomes semi mainstream, but still a bit edgy, but but edgy enough as a way that it, it you know corporate interests can are still willing to attach themselves to it, and then it becomes the mainstream, and it becomes a sort of. Uh, uh, it becomes almost this orthodoxy, if you will, and then it becomes a corporate. Uh, if if corporations are using that kind of music for their ads, then you know that a new culture, culture, a new counterculture is spawning somewhere in the somewhere. in the deep recesses of the internet. As soon as corporations are saying like, "Yeah, we, this is cool for us," um, yeah, there's a. There already is a counterculture. It's just not, you haven't been exposed to it yet. I mean, it's the same with music, and I think it's all reactionary. And I think, but, okay, well, what, hang on. What was the, the counterculture? What was the counterculture when we were growing up? Like, it, it wasn't rap, but rap wasn't. Yeah, it was. And remember, people no, but it were was, protesting it was But it was still commercialized counterculture. Like, it wasn't. Un- there's no oh, way Eminem okay. was underground. Yeah, that's he a just good point. wasn't Britney Spears or Justin Timberlake. Well, what was probably underground then and what would have maybe been wokeism because it was before it really gained popularity in, in the elite class. So maybe in the 2000s, the, the original blogs was where the ideas of 
Yeah, and in academia, that's well, it's. I'm, I read cynical theories recently, and it's sort of it's, it's the whole history of scholarship, but it really came to the fore in the in the nineties, and then yeah, early two thousand. So original woke culture, which actually probably was very edgy at the time, and and counterculture was was maybe the counterculture then. I don't know. Musically, I'm not really sure what it was. I mean, like, uh, my friends were like, yeah, man, Triple J is edgy, and this was in 2008. So I I, I never listened to... I always thought indie music was just kind of cringe. It's just like... So did I, but I think that they're probably right that that like would have been... And like, they have a song, and they sound really weird. But like, did they sound like that? <laughs> yeah. Did they sound like that back then in, like, 2000? for 2008 period or was it different then but i think that that's yeah. probably what was more yeah that would have been counterculture then just whatever the fuck was on triple j and now triple j is sort of just a joke yeah so maybe there was a little bit of existential dread and nihilism in in a lot of that music because it's just so baseless boring to me it was just Lifeless. It was lifeless. Lifeless. And so there you go. I think that could be a very real indicator of how it's influenced the lifelessness today of a lot of people in particularly early 30s, like your age, Mm. not even so much my age, late Mm. 20s. It's just like this feeling of lifelessness Mm, mm, of mm. people in their early 30s. I completely agree. haven't sort of come to grips with the fact that their youth is over. You're looking at one. <laughs> and they need to... Oh, shit. I mean, no, I didn't mean it no, but that's, directly. But... That is me. Like, I, I, you know what I will pay about my generation? I saw a meme the other day that very, was very clever. But you know that, like, uh, Nordic Chad, right? That picture. <laughs> yeah. And it was just, like, a picture of a Nordic Chad saying Gen Z being, like, your generation shucks to a boomer. And the boomer was just the crying wojack with the red eyes just being like we fighting vietnam and then like the gen z uh nordic chad was then saying to a gen y who was also a nordic chad and he was just going your generation shucks and the gen y chad was just going like we know (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that that meme perfectly sums up the relationship between Gen Z. It's like, yeah, we know we suck and we own it, man. And uh, uh, yeah, maybe the kind of like lifeless indie music of the late two thousands and early twenty tens influenced that. But then I think when you get to my age and, and younger, mid late even early twenties, sort of that twenty three to twenty eight period, you get into a lot of that hustle grind culture which I, I don't see it as much in people in their early 30s. I, I see it, but in a different way. It's not that kind of – it's not infused with uh, rap elements and hood vernacular. Again, coming full circle to Gary V here, I think a lot of people my age grew up listening to your 50 Cent and your Ja Rule and your Nelly and all of this, and that has sort of tr- been transmuted into some kind of hustle culture, which is a way that – the um, ideas espoused in the original commercial rap are just becoming a bit more age-appropriate in a Gary Vee-style hood entrepreneurship. <laughs> Don't you think? Fuck, dude. Don't you yes, think? Because there's a lot of that, yes, yeah, man, I'm grinding, I'm hustling, man. Every day, all day, every day. It's like, dude, you're Asian. Shut up. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. And also, what's your grind again? I'm starting a starter. <laughs> yeah, at least the rappers like shop people. You know, what the fuck are you grinding for? You're se- again, you see, you're, you're buying shit off Alibaba and you're selling it on Amazon and then you're creating a cringy course for it. That's your grind. I saw it like the moment. I, I actually saw a post on Instagram. It was just like, this is a day in the life of a seven figure entrepreneur. Just saying that first. Like, dude, shut up. Well, yeah, real success moves in silence, which actually I think is true. But yeah, you're not but moving in silence, yeah, are no, you? Yeah, you're yeah. posting about it on Instagram <laughs> it's, a lot. It's such a, it's such a meme. And look, I actually do. I know we like it was only five podcasts ago when I'm like, all right, daily habits are important. But there was something about this guy, like just you know, announcing his daily routine to the world. That again, maybe projection because I don't have his discipline. Because it was like I wake up at four thirty, I have a cold shower, and I, you know. Then I do Bible study for half an hour, and then from like five thirty to uh, then no, then he has like a a small breakfast five thirty to six, and he's like six to nine. That's where the real work happens. That's when the real hustle happens, and it's like this is when my mind is the most potent, and I get the the real work done. Which again, look, it's, wait, it's wait, wait, true. Wait, wait, you should do the real the, work in the, the morning. You should work. eat that cat. He didn't specify. All he didn't specify. All of right, this right, is right, vague. Okay. I'm a seven-figure entrepreneur. He didn't specify what he does. Didn't specify how he made his money. Just said, like, this is my hustle grind routine. I just assume he's saying it in that accent, even though he's Asian. <laughs> like, he's like, yo, man, this is my hustle grind routine. It's like, you probably went to Harvard. Shut the fuck up. Yes. Okay, don't talk like that. And you actually, black people now actually don't even, half of them don't even talk like that. That's just like a 2000s vernacular. But don't um, you think that, aren't, aren't you really sad about that? Like, it was just, again, I suppose that's what's happened now. Like, when I look at rap and I look at black rap now, I'm just oh, like, it's this sucks. It's, this is it's shit. Really and, shit. But, like, there was a period where I suppose black people were counterculture. There's this, I've got to recommend this. I don't know if I have already on this part, but there's this, there's this black porn star from back in the day called Wesley Pipes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's mad. He is ghetto as fuck. And I remember saying, like, you just got it. Like, I'm not even recommending seeing his porn. It's just a comedy act. It's not. It's, it's, it's hilarious. Like, go look at his, his, some of his, like, amazing quotes that he has, like, while having sex with chicks. But um, I remember watching him <laughs> being interviewed. And it was just like, Jesus, this was only 10 years ago. And this was, like, a the face of black people. This was They were that counterculture and, like, hood. That a male porn star, they were just like, all right, so tell us how did you get into porn? He was just like, yo, I just came out from doing a bid for five years in Mississippi Penitentiary. Ain't too much a motherfucker can do once he added the bid. <laughs> so I walk up to a couple of pamps I know from out. What were you doing in the in jail? What, what did you get in for? Carjacking a motherfucker. And then it's just oh like, a, like so I walk up to a couple of pimps I know. And I'm like, yo, can I slang some dick for y'all? And they're like, let me see what you got. I bring out my tool and they're like, damn, you can slang that, but you should probably slang that on camera. And the rest is just history. Yeah. That is just like, dude, that is the coolest man. He's so much. He's like, male porn stars are a joke, but he's like the most alpha 
fucking okay. hilarious man ever to have lived. That's you now know? an offensive stereotype. What? You know, that, that, that. But it's I'm just like, what people I know. Say, that's what it's, it, it is an offensive stereotype now, but it's just like, why? That was, it was fucking baller. That was pretty, you know what that I mean? sounds pretty mad, yeah. Uh, like, it's just, it's so fucking dominant. It's just something, that that swag is gone. Yeah. Like, and again, it's that thing that we were talking about before of, like, when you start getting separated from the working class, you start getting a bit noodly. And yes. that's what I say when I say black rappers now. I just say, like, you had a middle class upbringing, yeah. didn't you, you little shit? It was- you didn't fucking grow up in, like, you, you weren't selling fucking crack on the side of the street at 12. Which, you weren't doing look, that. Ultimately, that's a good thing. Ultimately, that's a good but, thing, but uh, it's just it like- It doesn't create good art. It doesn't, well, there's no, there's no art to it and there's no, there's no counterculture to it anymore. Yeah, that's the, what I'm saying. There's nothing yeah, it's rebellious go- about it. It's gone from fuck the police to like, uh, the, the police are a part of a oppressive system. Yes, and that kind of thing. That doesn't appeal to like- Yeah, okay, like, college boy. Yeah, on, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, There's no The Wire points anymore in rap. Yet the disparity between rich and poor has actually grown. And there's uh, the crime rate in the last two years in America is the highest it's been since uh, pre-crime bill days. So, yeah. Anyway. um, Well, maybe it's just... I think what's happening there is that now the middle class has the aspiration and the tools and the education to become digital farmers. But as always, the working class just doesn't have the time to do it. There'd be a few extremely enterprising ones that can, Mm -hmm. but most of them are just doing three jobs. And so where are they going to sit there and think like, okay, let's just think about my numbers. How am I going to game the algorithm this week? Yeah. I don't have the time. Damn. Digital entrepreneurship is a very class distinct phenomenon. Which is why you see, and that's why I find most people, it's very interesting actually. Don't you think that when you see somebody that's very rich getting into social media, have you ever seen those kind of people that try and get in and they're, they're, they're like clearly from yeah. like I mean, really, really rich families? I've heard that uh, a lot of people who make it as tech millionaires or whatever then try and actually obtain a social media uh, platform. Because then I want to do another podcast on this because I think people are starting to realize the importance of social capital and how much it, it, it in many ways can even be more powerful than financial capital mm. dealing with economies of scale here i'm sure if you have the wealth of elon musk that's always going to be far more potent than having a million followers but if you're worth 10 million dollars or you have 10 million followers well having 10 million followers is more impactful than 10 million dollars mm. mm. and so i mm. think people are starting to realize that social capital is extremely valuable Especially today. Mm. If people are listening to you, which is what we have, I'm very grateful for that. And I wonder, you know, there'd be people, there would be some 27 year olds that have a salary of a million dollars. Very, very few. There'd be some. How much influence do they have now? Maybe, maybe in 
20 years time when they're making a hundred million dollars they'll have a lot more influence but we would still have more influence than them despite making not nearly as much as they do and if you can influence people that's that that showcases more status than simply having physical resources because then you have emotional or you have social resources you're, you're socially resourceful and that's that's very powerful. So that's why I think a lot of hyper-rich people are trying to garner a social following. It's 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 the gold of today. You know what? Are we digital farmers or are we digital gold miners? Is that a more apt analogy? You know what I think we were? Yeah. I think we were originally digital gold miners. We've moved into farming. We've into farming, yeah. We've moved okay. into farming. We okay, we struck gold and we bought a farm. That's what we did. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. Yes. Yes. That's the appropriate analogy. And I think uh I think with that Actually with that, oh. before we finish, one question to everybody out there. Does anyone know a good alternative to Patreon? Can you let me know? Just get do it what I'm doing it through a website. Yeah, but does that have like Membership tiers. Yeah, it's exactly what I'm doing with these. Oh, well, you, you, you or your producer will just have to set that up. But I'm pretty sure you can because I have these options of different prices to subscribe, and you just it goes through um Stripe. So there's a very small percentage that goes to Stripe. So yes, technically, if you are a subscriber, like you know, a couple of cents won't be going to charity, but um, uh. You just circumnavigate the whole Patreon taking 20%. Now you just have to pay a lot more for the... I do it through Squarespace. It's like 60-something a month. But if you're getting enough... As you would be, if you're getting enough subscription revenue in, you are... It would be worth... Whatever that excess of monthly cost for your website is, bail in comparison to... The twenty percent or whatever it is that you're giving to Patreon. Yeah, but here's the whole thing: like you've got your membership tiers, and then you upload videos to those membership tiers, sure. and you say you get access to this video. I don't think you can do that through that website. But there'd you have can, to be some cheap copy of Patreon. No, I that's think cheap. Look, you can because you get everyone's email. So what you could do is like upload an unlisted video, or uh, find their, you know, make that video accessible for people with the link. The thing is, as long as they don't yeah, it's share so it, primitive, isn't it? Like it's it's <laughs> like it's, it's a real like it, it's like an email chain thing yeah, at that point yeah, where you're true. just like check this out, guys. You know, right? Like I need so I need Patreon, something okay. that's a little more machiny than that. So I'm if sure anybody knows, I've, I've been looking, I've been looking. So if anybody actually knows one that you can do tiers with Patreon, just as a personal favor, can you let me know? Why? Why don't you like? Is it the percentage? Because they take 20%. I'm sorry. What do you do again? You set up a website 10 years ago. I'll happily give you five or 10. 10. 20. You're having a laugh. I know a lot of the bigger podcasters like uh, Sam and even Coleman, they have membership tiers available for their podcast and they offer exclusive content. So I'm not sure how they do it. I'm sure if you actually looked at the products of of Squarespace or – What's the other one everyone actually uses now? Uh, Shopify. Uh, there would be some products available for you to have that kind of membership 
you know, access. So I'd look into those, just yeah. the websites. Uh, I'll have a look. Anyway. But yeah, let uh, email Jordan if you uh, know a good site for him. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed part one and part two. Subscribe, share, like, comment. My next goal is a million subscribers on YouTube. So if you sub to it, yeah, haven't subbed sub to for it sub. yet. Uh, make Are you sure still you offering sub for subs? Damn, that would be very primitive. <laughs> Wouldn't I don't that be think a I can do that. Sub for I'll sub. tell you what, if I get to like 999,000, I'll do a sub for sub. I'll be like, all right, the last, on, the last, last one. 1,000, I'll sub to all of you guys. Yes. So uh, it's still a long, it's a long way away, but that's my goal now. I got to a million on TikTok, a million on YouTube's the next one. Um, you can move your TikTok following over. Hey, man, the fucking algorithm is just fucking me, man. I got 4,000 views on the last one. I honestly think it's because I uploaded a video about the government, and I think that Online Safety Commission has done something because it's like just after I uploaded that government video, boom, all videos, very low views. Anyway. It could be. Yeah, I know. It really could be. Yeah, I know. It's fucking disgusting. Anyway, um, <laughs> thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye.